Well, we're glad everyone's here. It is March the 5th, 2023. The world is counting time by Jesus. And that is significant. Let's have a word of prayer. And we will begin. Dear Father, we are grateful to you for this day. We are thankful for all the ways you bless us. We do ask for your leading. Uh, We know, Father, we're very needy. The human body is so strong and so frail at the same time. As David said, it's just amazing how it works. But we know we live in a uh, corrupted world and the, uh, the creation is affected and our physical health is affected as well. So we all know folks who are not feeling well today and who have different health, cha- health challenges, we pray for them. Pray for Vern and Brenda and all of Barbara's family as they readjust to life. We're grateful for her legacy, for Barbara, for her influence and example to us. Ask that you bless us today in our study to learn, understand your word uh, in in the ways that you want us to. And we ask your blessing in that matter. In Jesus' name, amen. There it is. Okay, so we're at Romans chapter 8. We got a lot to cover today. Uh, This is kind of one of the high water marks to me of the New Testament in terms of Christian uh, God trying to convey to us through Paul, through his letter, um, the security that we have in Jesus. And it's just... He just bends over backwards, as we uh, say sometimes, to help those group, uh, that group of Christians in Rome, to understand what a great blessing they have in Jesus. And in eight, in particular, he focuses a lot on the work of the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that as we as we go through there, through this chapter. So let's just. Uh, Last week we covered four verses, the first four. Let's read that and then we'll get into some new material. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a mouthful. We will not go into that in detail today. Uh, But wow. For or because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And the law, of, the law of Moses was a law of sin and death uh, in terms of being a law of works. Uh, people could not be justified in, through the law of Moses. It had no provision for forgiveness or justification. The sacrifices that they made uh, were really not sufficient. They were looking forward to the, they didn't know it at the time, but God was looking forward if they were faithful people he was looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus for them. 
uh, because Hebrews 10 tells us the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sin. Uh, Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to pay for sin. Law couldn't do that. So that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What was the righteous requirement of the law? The requirement was if you sin, you die. The law required death for sin. Deuteronomy 26 and 27, if I'm remembering correctly, if I'm not, you can Google it. But the uh, Israelites were told they would be okay with God if they kept all the commandments to do them. And that's repeated in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. You'll be okay under the law of Moses if you keep all the command, if you do all the commandments perfectly. But James says, now if you break one of them, you're guilty of all of it. No, no provision for forgiveness. So that's what he's saying here. This is what the righteous requirement of the law demanded justice, and justice is death for sin. The law couldn't meet that, so Jesus met that. It was God's plan. Jesus would pay for the sin. And therefore, the righteous requirement of the law was met. God's, the righteous requirement of God's justice was met. Sin was paid for through the death of Jesus. So here we go. New territory now. Chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the Spirit, look back up. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Uh, Life is a decision. The life path that we take is a decision. And if we tune into the flesh and focus on that, that decision leads us to a lot of trouble. A life that's set on the flesh is full of drama, upset, contention, strife, conflict, disappointment, A lot of wrath. That's what the life set on the flesh, that's where that goes. And he makes that contrast in these verses in in this little section right here. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God. It cannot. It just won't. If that's my focus, if that's your focus, the mind that is set on the flesh is is hostile to God. It, It will not seek to follow his commandments. There's always yeah, but, or rationalization. Or I don't agree with that. That's, there's always that contention going on and that resentment. And typically the mind set on the flesh is very resentful to the church people, to the hypocrites that go to church. It's just attack, attack, attack. It's a life of wrath. Obviously we're all sinners. We're struggling through life. The difference is we have the aid of the Spirit. We are forgiven in Jesus 
and we have the aid of the Spirit in our lives to help our consciences and our direction. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So he's telling these folks, he's basically saying, watch, watch your decisions, watch what you do in making your decisions. Be, be, pay attention to your life direction and the decisions you're making. Because you go one trail and it is full of bumps, potholes, and all sorts of stuff. Choose not to go that direction. He's saying, set your mind in a, in a better direction. So we, we have a decision in this. We have the opportunity to decide how we're going to be. The, the deal, though, is, is that the further we go down the wrong road, the, the deeper it is to climb out of that canyon. Best not to start there, but of course we're all stories of redemption at different levels of where we were down that road. Praise be to God, Paul says, you know, in, uh, at the end of chapter 7, who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, God will through Jesus. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, although although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I want you to notice in that little section there, he, starting in verse 9, he talks about the Spirit of God, then he says the Spirit of Christ, and then he says Christ in you. The... Um, the I'm trying to say unity, but I want a better word. But those terms are all are all what? What is the word I'm looking for? The spirit of Christ, Christ in you. What did he say? Find my place. The mind of the the mind of the spirit is life. Let's see. La da 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 da. Okay, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and Christ in you. They're, they're all connected. And he talks to about them like this is all the same thing. The Spirit of God's in you, the Spirit of Christ is in you, or Christ is in you. It's all the same. Perfect unity. And he says if, if you have the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God, you have Christ. All in perfect harmony there. If, verse 11, let me, let me back up. Let me look at this. Uh, pretty important. I want to reread verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If, he says, if Christ, if Christ is in you. Pretty important is an understatement that we know something about receiving the Spirit of Christ, having the Spirit of Christ, or as we might say, getting the Spirit of Christ. Our bodies are going to die. They've already been infected by sin. 
There's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. Our infected bodies are going to die. But we have life through the Spirit of Christ, through the Spirit of God. If Christ is in us, we have life. You know, Jesus said in John 6 and John 11, if I'm in you, you'll never die. Even if you die, you'll never die. What's he saying? There's more to this fleshly tent you see. And if you are following me and are in relationship with me, you will not die. Um, receiving the Spirit. So that's what Peter talked to the Jews right after Jesus ascended at Pentecost. They're gathered there at Pentecost, thousands of them, thousands upon thousands, and Peter gets up. This is the Peter that denied knowing Jesus a few weeks before. Peter gets up and said, you guys crucified Jesus Christ, but God raised him up because it was not possible for death to hold him. And God has made that Jesus who you crucified both Lord and Christ. He is deity and he is the Messiah. And he starts out by telling them, you know what kind of life he lived. You saw the miracles he did. He healed people of all manner of things. He did miracles like you can't believe. And you still killed him. So when Peter goes through that sermon in Acts 2, finally you get to verse 37 and he says they're convicted, hit in their hearts, and they say, brothers, what are we going to do? What do we do? We're, we're guilty. We did kill him. We demanded that the Romans put him on a cross. So Peter says, first of all, change your hearts toward Jesus. Repent. Change your hearts. He's not telling them there to repent of their sins. He's telling them to repent of their attitude about Jesus. That's who he's talking about. Of course, other passages tell us that we have to repent of our sins. Jesus said that in Luke. But he says, change your hearts about Jesus and be baptized in his name for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's how we receive the Spirit. Being baptized in Jesus' name for forgiveness. Our sins were paid for at the cross, Romans 6, that we looked at a few weeks ago. By baptism, we were baptized into his death, buried with him by baptism into death, that like as he would be raised, we too could walk in newness of life. And Peter says to the group in, at Pentecost, this is how you receive the Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. By one Spirit we're baptized into one body. That's how we receive the Spirit that he's talking about here in Romans 8. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, verse 11 he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that same Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies through him. 
wow. That's a wow. I want you to turn, turn to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're talking about the Spirit here. Watch what he says. First five verses of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. We know that the tent that is our earthly home, if that tent is destroyed, cause it a tent. Pretty flimsy. Pretty flimsy. <laughs> we wear down, don't we? I used to have pretty strong legs. You probably weren't wondering about how strong was, were Gary's legs at one time. I'm just going to share this for free. I had pretty strong legs. I was kind of proud of the strength of my legs, tennis and whatnot. So time goes by. I'm about 40 years old or so. I'm talking to a coworker at State Farm in the regional office at Monroe. So I had this thing. I could go down on one leg, hold the other leg out, and just get up on the one leg. So I was bragging to her. It was Nell Ritchie, Pam. I was bragging to Nell about the strength of my legs and how I could just go down and get up. So I did that. I went down all the way to the ground. Time to get up. Nothing moved. (laughs) Nothing moved. I said, oh, I had no idea what turning 40 would do to you. It'll do it. So if this body that we have, which is a tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. He said, you've got something much greater than the tent you're in right now. Now watch, watch what he says. Verse 2, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Drop down to verse uh, 5. Well, the last part of verse 4 says that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, He, God, who has prepared us for this very thing, has given us the Spirit as our guarantee. God has given us the Spirit as His guarantee to us that our mortal bodies will be raised. Immortal. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. And that's the whole subject that he gets into in 1 Corinthians 15, which we've been over several times. Having the Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Spirit, we're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You're not your own, you've been bought. Your body is the temple of the Spirit that dwells in you. That's a big, that's a big thing. When you read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you sort of get the idea that God's idea, God's plan for church and our life in church was not have a Sunday morning appointment and do what you want to do the rest of the week. Not God's idea. My life is in Jesus. So what I say and what I do and where I go and what I talk about and think about, not to set my mind on the flesh, 
It's all in Jesus. I have been bought by a price, by a terrible price. So in receiving the Holy Spirit, and I'll, uh, one more, and, and you can jot this down if, you're, if you tend to jot things down. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 11, 12, and 13, he says that Paul tells the Ephesians, you have been sealed, stamped, sealed, by God's Spirit to guarantee your inheritance So the Holy Spirit is doing a lot for us, helping direct us, helping our prayers, and he is our seal and our guarantee of the redemption of our bodies. We're in Romans 8. Look at verse 23. We groan, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan as we wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of so in 1 Corinthians 15, 32 through 35, 42 through 44, 52 through 54, he says, the mortal body that you have will be changed. What you bury, what is planted is buried or sown in some versions. In weakness, it is raised in glory. It is sown in corruption. It is raised immortal in glory. Incorruption, it is raised. First John chapter three, verse two. We don't know yet what we'll be like, but when he comes back, we know we'll be like him. First Corinthians fifteen. 51 and 52 says, we won't all die, but we will all be changed. There is a change coming. As the old song says, there's a great day coming. And if we were here three years ago, Don McGinty would be leading us in that right now in the middle of class. There's a great day coming. Maurice knows that song. Scott, have you ever heard of that song? See, if you're under 40 or so, you, what's he talking about? There's a great day coming. Okay, boy, have I got to start moving. Okay, chapter 8, verse 15. Um. Let's start in 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons or children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs with Jesus. Here we sit, very short-sighted mortals, and we're reading that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ to God the Father. 
can't begin to understand what that is. Greater than we can imagine. And as God gives us that message, (laughs) do you think maybe we should be just a little bit excited about it? Just a little. I've said it before, if I don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Spirit bears, verse 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, heirs and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Now one reason he's telling the group he's writing to here in Rome, he's giving them all this information, he's telling them, we're going to go through a lot of persecution, guys. It's going to get pretty rough around here. Caesars don't really like us. They really rather us worship them, not this Jesus. And if you're going to hold on to your faith, Paul is trying to tell them, you need to realize what you're a hold of right here. You need to realize what you've got a hold of. This is not humdrum, oh well, yeah, we went to church and, uh, you know, uh-oh, it's getting a little heat from the government. Well, we really believe in Jesus, but we'll tell them that we believe in Caesar. Paul said, no, you be faithful. You're going to go through a pretty rough patch and a lot of you are going to die. So I want you to know that your bodies are going to be raised incorruptible. I want you to know that you've been given the Holy Spirit as God's guarantee to you of your resurrection and your future. And don't let go of that. Hold on to that through the rough time that's coming. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hang on. He says in verse 18, For I consider, I think if he had been a real southern guy, he would have said, I reckon. I really do. I think he would have said, I reckon. Don't you? So Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is ahead. Not worth comparing to the glory that is ahead. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. The suffering that we're going to go through here on earth doesn't begin to compare to the glory that's ahead. Stay faithful. In the next section, 19 through 26, he covers three groanings, three groanings, chapter 8, 19 through 26. So he says the creation, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
The creation is waiting with eagerness for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? We know in Genesis 3 that God subjected the creation to corruption because of Adam and Eve's sin. So when he got to Adam, he says, now the earth is going to be cursed because of you. So it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles and all kinds of things. And it's going to be hard for you to get your food now. The, the earth is not going to produce its food in abundance like it was before because it's been cursed. It's been cursed because of sin, your sin. And so Paul says here the creation is personification here. The creation is groaning for its release from this curse it's been subjected to. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing. What does he mean, for the revealing? He's meaning what I just referred to in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, 53. We won't all die, but we'll all be changed. We will be revealed as God's children raised or changed to be immortal, having spiritual bodies. Some of you have not been in my classes before, so let's just turn real quickly to 1 Corinthians 15. Real quick, real quick. Verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? Verse 38, God gives everything the body he has chosen. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. What is sown or buried in dishonor will be raised in glory. Sown or buried in weakness will be raised in power. Buried a natural body, raised a spiritual body, not a ghost. Our spirits leave our bodies when we pass and they go on to the next realm. Story of the rich man and Lazarus. They're there in two waiting places for the judgment. Our spirit, flesh returns to the dust from where it came. Spirit returns to God who gave it. The body is raised imperishable. Look at 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Philippians 3, 21 and, uh, 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship's in heaven, from where we eagerly await a Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, who will change our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So there's a resurrection ahead for God's people where our mortal bodies will be changed to be like his glorious body. Philippians 3.21. Change. We'll all be changed. That's the revealing of the sons of God. And so he says, the creation is waiting for that revealing. Why? 
so that it will be released from its bondage to corruption. Verse 21 of chapter 8. Verse 21, the creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God that it has been set in bondage to because of sin. The creation will be released from its corruption. What does that mean? Well, Peter talks about at the end of time how the earth and the heavens will be dissolved in fervent heat. And then Peter says, we await a new heavens and a new earth. New environment? This reads like the creation is waiting to be released from the corruption it's been subjected to. When the Lord returns at the end of time, that creation and all the corruption it's been subjected to will be burned up and dissolved. But Peter says, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth. If God allowed sin to corrupt his creation, and that was the end of it, would sin have won a small victory? corrupted the physical creation and it ended up getting burnt up, destroyed. Maybe that was God's plan just to dissolve it. What did Peter mean when he says we await for a new heavens and a new earth? Maybe God is saying I'm going to dissolve all this mess that sin's created and I'm going to remake it into the glory of the children of the Son of God. It's going to be new also. Maybe. Think what you want to. Uh, Whatever God will do at the end of time is his business, and he will do it well. So. In the vision John had in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, he said he saw the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Be interesting to see what God does with all this. It'll be the right thing, whatever he does. So the creation's groaning. We're groaning. Verse 23 of chapter 8. We who have the Spirit groan as we await our adoption of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies getting our bodies back glorified, redeemed, immortalized. That's Romans 8, 23. Our resurrection completes our adoption. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit to guarantee our inheritance and to guarantee the redemption of our bodies. If you've not studied 1 Corinthians 15, you ought to. I recommend it. Read 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 8. Read them together and just notice the parallels. Again, Philippians 3, 21, when he comes back, our lowly bodies will be changed and transformed to be like his glorious body. So, 
So we groan waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And then three, the Holy Spirit is groaning too. Look at verse 26 of chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray or how to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. He who searches hearts, that's God. You know, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and 7 there, God, when God's appointing David to become the king of Israel, Samuel thinks it's going to be one of the other sons, and, and all the sons of Jesse's sons come before him, and God says, no, 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 no. Samuel asked Jesse, you got any more? He said, well, I got one more. I got a runt out there watching the sheep. He said, bring him. And God tells Samuel, you look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. So he who searches hearts hears the prayers that the Spirit gives on our behalf. Two things here uh, to mention. Intercession and mediation. So we're told, we're told to pray for one another in multiple places in the scripture. Pray for each other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 11 and 12, he says, pray for me so that because of the blessings of the prayers of many, I will be able basically to continue my ministry. He tells the Corinthians to pray for him. James says, pray for the sick. So we intercede for each other. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are beyond our ability to express and communicate. That's intercession, to ask for God's blessing on behalf of someone else. What about mediation? 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one mediator, Jesus. What's the difference? You know, and before I get to that, just a, a quick thought. In Hebrews 7.25, he says, Jesus ever lives to intercede for us, to, pray, to carry our petitions before the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Roman uh, Hebrews 7.25, because he ever lives to intercede for us. Because 1 Timothy 2. Uh, five, he is the mediator between God and man. One mediator. One. How many is one? Mike, how many is one? One. We don't pray through Mary. Two reasons. One reason is that the scripture says there's one mediator, Jesus. The other reason is because the scripture says nothing about Mary being a mediator or intercessor. It's not a 
biblical subject. It's not in the Bible. So we pray through Jesus, and he's a mediator. I can pray for Don, or Don can pray for me, but Don can't go to the Father and say, Father, forgive Gary because of my life. I've paid for his sin. And I can't say to the Father, Father, forgive Don of that stumbling he did on the basis of my indestructible, perfect life. I'm asking you to forgive him. I can't do that. I can't mediate on his behalf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Brothers, I wish you would not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the Lord. We do have an advocate. Advocate's a legal term. Mediator tends to be a legal term. And we have one advocate, one mediator, who can say to the Father, Father, Gary, Gary blew it on that, but I paid for his sin. He's one of mine. I paid for his sin. He's mine. He's covered. Father, Erica's covered. I paid for that. It's all covered. That's a mediator. That's an advocate. So we intercede for each other. We pray for each other. And uh, Paul said, the prayers of many, are, are uh, they'll bless my ministry. And James says, the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. The Lord listens to our prayers for each other. But we cannot mediate or advocate for each other for forgiveness because we, on the basis of our lives and uh, our ability to deserve God hearing us on that basis because we're not perfect and we haven't paid for anyone's sins. So there's a difference in the two. Romans 8, 28. Interesting passage. <sighs> okay. Let's look at this. This verse is a lot of, uh, give, gives a lot of comfort and causes a lot of confusion. Maybe sometimes. For we know that those uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Okay, this thing of context. This verse appears in a section where Paul is talking about our future glory, our eternal glory, what God has planned for our futures. Notice in verse 18, we went through the sufferings of the present time cannot compare to the glories to come, future. The creation waits, verse 21, the creation waits to be set free from its bondage to corruption, future. Verse 23, we groan waiting for the redemption of our bodies, future. Verse 25, we're hoping for that which we do not yet see, future. Verse 29, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, future. Verse 32, he will graciously give us all things, future. So he says in verse 28, all things work together for the good. Context, what's he talking about? Future glory. It's all about the future. 
Jesus said, John 16, 33, on this world you will have tribulation. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. What causes us to have questions uh, and confusion, I think, about this verse is that we tend to want to interpret it in the immediate, in our lifetime experience. All things are going to work together for the good right away, right now. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. What's he talking about in Romans 8, 28? That verse is in the middle of a whole section where he's talking about your eternal inheritance and your redemption of your bodies and your resurrection and your presence with God. Future. All things work together for our good. Keep the faith. That's what our future's about. Stephen, Stephen's killed. He's a martyr. Thousands upon thousands of Christians are killed. Martyred. Are their families sitting there saying, but I thought it was supposed to work together for our good. This is not good. So and so there, Josephus has died. How's that good? It's not what Paul's talking about. Jesus died for us. Some of us may have to die for him. God doesn't ask us to do any more than he's already done. Jesus died for us. Maybe we have to die for him. Jesus says, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have tribulation. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. The context is about the future glory we have in Jesus. Sometimes, as we've talked about earlier, God answers prayers. Now he tells us to pray. He says, let's pray for the sick. Sometimes they're healed. Sometimes they're not. Did God let down on his promise? No. The promise of future glory, the promise of our redemption of our bodies, it's all solid. It's all there and it's coming. And all things will work together for our good. That's God's plan. Have a great week. Let's try to pick up here next time. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.